The scripture reading this morning comes from Romans chapter 12. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service, in our serving. The one who teaches, in his teaching. The one who exhorts, in his exhortation. The one who contributes, in generosity. The one who leads, with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy, with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable, to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The passage we're looking at this morning is filled with lots of different things for us to think about, for us to do. I'm going to focus this morning on just one small section of it, verse 9, where it says, let love be genuine. That's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about love as a church. And the point in this phrase is so simple that I've been tempted all week to say, to say nothing more, just to tell you that, let love be genuine. Sometimes it is that simple. You know, you catch yourself with your mixed motives. Um, you're not knowing how to navigate certain situations. And this is so helpful in its simplicity. Don't fake it. Don't pretend. Don't be untruthful, but actually love. It's, it's so helpful because you'll find in situations uh, you have 
conflict. You have this desire to do something maybe spiteful, or you have this desire to justify yourself, or any number of things that you see going on, and you recognize, look, my love needs to be genuine. I can't bundle it with this secret agenda, and so I'm just not going to act on those things. I'm just going to keep it simple. I'm going to let love be genuine. Uh, and so as you move towards people, you move in love, but also you find that for love to be genuine, the problems that you're ignoring, uh, genuine love means you need to face them. And the problems that you're ignoring are sometimes tied to people that you're ignoring or ignoring certain topics with them. And so, so letting love be genuine means uh, in simplicity, in order to love someone, you might need to stop avoiding. You might need to stop um, distancing yourself and playing it safe. And, and so it's really simple. Let love be genuine. Think about that this week. How do I do this? How do I not fake it, not hide, not make excuses, but just consistently love? So it's that simple. But the problem is people are not that simple. And as we try to do it, we find that, that we can be overwhelmed with these mixed motives and desires. It's not easy. Not only do we not know how to love people, but we find how often we don't want to or how complicated it is. And so as tempted as I was just to make that simple point and be done with it, um, I am going to take the simple and my hope is that I will not make it unnecessarily complex. Uh, but I do want to work out the fact that as you try to apply this to your life, it's actually not easy to do. We're not in the habit of genuinely loving. We're, we're in the habit of trying to love or bundling love in somewhere or just giving up on love. And so what I want to do today is have sort of a check-in, given where we're at now after, what I don't know, if it's six, seven weeks of shelter in place, of a couple of months of anticipating this, and, and still an unknown future of not knowing where things are going, how things are going to unfold, plus the particular struggles we have. This check-in, how are you doing? And, and where is love in your life, how you're experiencing things, and how you're responding? Because this is a stressful time. And so, so if it wasn't already hard to let love be genuine, now when you're anxious, when you're resentful, uh, when you're confused, whatever it is that's going on for any one of us, genuine love may be harder, but this is a discouraging time because we're probably seeing how we're not as genuine in new ways. And so I have one predominant metaphor that I, or, or um, illustration that I want to use for the, the remainder of the sermon. And it comes from the, the world of engineering, a world that um, I actually don't know that much about. And so my, my goal here is not to teach you about structural engineering, but to, to use an example that I think helps us understand some of the dynamics in our lives. Because there, there's a lot of... Um, a lot of imagery in the Bible, particularly in the New Testament, about building. Uh, you see it in Matthew 7, and you see it in Ephesians 2, the idea that God is doing a work to build us up, to build us together. And so I want to use building imagery. And uh, I've been thinking about this lately because there's been so much new construction going on in our neighborhood, but even around Manhattan in the last few years, new construction, and, 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 and we tend to be building pretty tall. And it's fascinating, these tall very thin buildings that are made of glass. Uh, and for somebody who doesn't know a lot about engineering and construction, it's, it's a marvel to wonder how, how do you do that? I understand with a shorter building where, you know, it's kind of like a pyramid when, when cheerleaders get, get on top. If you have one person on the top, you need to have a stronger base. And that makes sense if you're building a three to five story building, just have a strong foundation. 
But once you're going, you know, a hundred stories, how on earth do you do that? And you still need a foundation, but you need a whole structure. And the structure has with it, and there's different ways architects, depending on the context, uh, or engineers will design different things in. Um, but basically, you need to deal with weight, the weight of the materials. And so you need a foundation, but you need, you know, it could be beams, it could be whatever the skeleton of the building is to make sure it bears all the weight. Um, but what's interesting is when you design in your plan for what the materials will be, how tall it will be, how much everything will go, there's, there's what, what I think they call the, uh, I think the term might be the dead weight, but, but the, the building materials themselves, but then there's the living weight. So you build a building and the building is not meant to be something people see, but it has a functional purpose. And so if it's an office building during the workday, lots of people will go into the office. And some offices may choose to have lots of filing cabinets with lots of paper. And so you need to, to account for that weight in the building. And so when you come up with the structure, it doesn't need to simply support the building, but it needs to support everything that will go in and out of the building. And then there are these environmental forces that will come. You know, it could be windy. And so, so a building in New York may be different than a building in Taipei. Um, but even if we only get a hurricane every 10 or 20 years, you don't want to make a building that in 15 years is not ready for the hurricane. And so uh, there's wind. There's, how are you going to deal with snow on the roof? We may not have to design earthquake uh, thinking into, into our buildings like you would in Northern California, but you don't want to not be ready for the earthquake. And so there are all these forces that, that, that will act on a structure. Um, and wise building... Uh, builds into that. And, and the reality is most people, this is something that I don't give thought to because I tend to go with what I see in my apartment or in an office. I'm interested in the fixtures, the walls, the things that I can see that are important for the use and the function of the building, but actually aren't the most important things in terms of the strength and the structure. So I'm talking about that because th there is this, uh, the imagery that we use in popular thought of, of building our own lives, building a life for ourselves. Um, there's something about this, this building imagery of, of adding to your life, of constructing a life, that I think allows some of this analogy to help inform us as we look at our faith, as we look at our hope, as we look at love, uh, to start to raise the questions of, of what really is uh, our foundation, what, what really is our primary supports. Um, and I'm asking the question now because we're probably seeing some vulnerabilities. We're seeing some weaknesses. We're seeing some breakdowns. We're, we're seeing that maybe some of the pressures coming against us are greater than what we maybe have anticipated. We didn't have a plan for this extended period. And so, it, you know, in the physical world for a building, it could be rain or it could be an earthquake or it could be lots of bodies coming into the building. Um, you know, the load that comes, uh, the, build, the, the elements respond with stress. How, do you, how does the building push back? Uh, how do the beams push back against the forces? And so the question for you right now, the, 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 the forces that are coming into your life, whatever they are, your fear of illness, your concern about your finances, uh, your, your, the lack of surety about your employment, uh, simply trying to deal with having a full-time job and now being a homeschooler. Um, having enjoyed living alone until you couldn't go out. Any number of the kinds of things that we're facing are now putting weights, loads, pressures against us, and we respond with stress. How do we push back? And Romans 12 says, don't overcome evil with evil, but overcome evil with good. Um, 
what is the force that's coming back? Is it genuine love? Do you see genuine love pushing back? Or do you find it's your impatience, your frustration, your spite, all of those things? So now's the time for check-in. And so I have two questions for us to consider this morning. One is, how are you holding up? And the second is, where are you deriving strength from? And so the first question, how are you holding up, is a question that we could ask one another. Hey, you know, it's, it's the equivalent of how are you doing? But I think holding up captures the, the potential for this um, structural engineering imagery for you to look at your life and say, actually, if this is a time where there's pressure, how, let me evaluate that. How am I holding up? And so verses 9 to 21 give us a picture of this energetic, enthusiastic life. And it's, it's interesting because on the one hand, um, you know, sort of the, 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 the people that will deal with their stress by, by, by saying, well, I'm just going to believe it, but, but really withdrawing, um, of having the energy drained from us. The, the picture of faith is, no, you're, you're active, you're, you're motivated, you're going out there. And yet the, the picture is very realistic because it, it names people who are mistreating you. It names problems. It, it, it names the kinds of scenarios where you wouldn't by instinct respond in love. And so, you, so Christians are meant to be people who enthusiastically and energetically go out into the world, even knowing that we're not naive about the world as it is. The world will not always be a, a fun and pleasant place. There are diseases. There are infrastructure problems. There are problematic people. And all of these forces will come against us. The question is, is the love in you genuine enough that you are holding up or are you starting to fall apart? Um, part of a plan for life is to account for the forces. And so as you build your life, your aspirations, what is it you're trying to accomplish? What is it you want? What are your values? Are you building a life that factors in the world in which we live and the potential for the problems to come? This sheltering in place could be the only time in our lifetimes. It could happen again in a year. It could happen in 20 years. We don't know. But are you constructing a life that allows for that to happen without completely wrecking you where you become a bitter, evil person? Or is love genuine enough that you can stand? A number of years ago, I was on the Princeton campus, and somebody told me that the Princeton Library, the main library, shrinks about an, or, or sinks about an inch every year because the architect who designed it didn't factor in the weight of the books. I have since heard that apparently this story goes about several libraries on several campuses, and I don't think it's untrue. And I wonder why the person told me that, if they told me that believing it to be true, as I probably passed on the story before I looked into it, uh, or whether or not they were trying to trick me. But that would be bad design to design a library and not factor in the weight of the books. That would be terrible architecture and design. As we make a plan for ourselves, are you factoring in the forces that you will be facing? And it raises the question, the kind of question that church people will ask is, do you need God in your life? And within the church, we would say, absolutely. But the reality is, think about it. Do people need God? And for the most part, in terms of what people want, it would sort of seem like you don't, right? Most people want to be happy. Are there people who don't believe in God or don't have any real meaningful kind of devotional religious life who are also happy? 
And the honor answer is yes, the honest answer. Yeah, there, there are people who don't believe in God who are happy. Do you need God for success? It actually seems like you don't. In fact, you, you could start to wonder for financial success or fame, is faith in God a hindrance? That's a, that's a question that could come up. Do you need God for that? Do you need God for health? Actually, no. Uh, so when we think of the kinds of things we aspire to and the, and the lives that we desire, do you need God? If, if the main question you're asking, should I believe in God or not, is, is a relevance question, not, not maybe the more principled, does God exist? What responsibility do I have? But do I actually need God? For most of life, it's hard to make a case to say, yeah, you really do. Because most of what most people want, you could, you could sneak through life without God. The question is, uh, you're planning a building and you're building your life. Are you factoring in that people are going to come in and out of it? Are you factoring in that people are going to put books on the shelves? Are you factoring in that snow may land on the roof and that there may be an earthquake and wind? And it's once you get there, the question is, do you need God for happiness? Well, no, not when everything's going okay. Do you need God for success? Not if you're willing to work hard and you're naturally talented. But what about the kinds of things that come into your life, the kinds of things we're seeing now, where maybe we were comforted a couple of months ago, if I'm under 75, if I don't have a pre-existing health condition, I don't need to worry about this. And now we're hearing reports about the 30-year-old uh, hypermarathoner um, who's on, on a ventilator, and we're hearing about the 18-year-old who didn't, wasn't known to have pre-existing conditions. And all of a sudden you realize this thing is pretty big, we're vulnerable, and maybe I think my immune system is strong enough for whatever reason to face this, but I don't know that I could face sitting in my house for another 24 hours. Um, now is a time that we're finding, well, our plan for happiness, our plan for success, our plan for financial security, our plan for having people around us that, that we have relationships with, um, maybe there are dynamics at work that we hadn't planned for. And so do you need God? The Bible says without a doubt, the most fundamental need, human beings were designed to be in relationship with God, to to be grounded in God, to lean on God. And so, yeah, you could get through large portions of life where God doesn't seem relevant. But the question is, if you're building a life, what are you looking to? And, and this is where it's interesting. Uh, you know, you think of a real estate agent when they stage an apartment to sell. One of the interesting things for me is, is the furniture is quite important, even though the person buying the apartment isn't going to keep that furniture. And yet the furniture is pretty important in the impression selling an apartment gives. The light fixtures are really important. The appliances, the tiles, all of these things are really important. Sure enough, when, you, when, when you're looking for a place to live, all of those things are valuable in your daily experience. You don't want to have this pure idea like, well, the main thing you need is a sturdy building, and therefore you don't need any appliances, and who cares about the aesthetics? The aesthetics are quite important for your day-to-day -day living. But many of us could go in and evaluate, I really like these appliances, I like this light fixture. But if you're actually going to buy an apartment, you want to know about the finances of the building, and if they're anticipating any major building projects, um, because the reality is if, if, if they have to increase your monthly charges to pay to repair the roof, you could take that one-year saving and, and, and buy whatever light fixture or whatever appliance you want. Uh, the greater vulnerability are the things that you don't see. Are you buying into a building that, that is going to crumble, in which case you don't want to live there? You could change the light fixture, um, but you have problems if there's something in the foundation. 
from, from much of our lives, we're really dealing with the, the, the daily conveniences, the experiences, and not that they're unimportant. Our happiness, our finances, our health, all of these things are important. It's not unspiritual to be concerned about these things. The question is, in the grand scheme of things, when you're talking about the whole of your life and what you'll be able to face, will your finances help you face all of the challenges in life? What happens when the markets crash? Your health, you can invest in your health, you should invest in your health. But are there certain things that your immune system and the technologies of health aren't gonna be able to face? At the end of the day, the ultimate thing uh, that we all have in common is all of us will face death. And so the question is, will your happiness be prepared for that? Will your finances be prepared for that? Will your success be prepared for that? Your friends, all of these things that are genuinely important. It's not that we don't need any of them. But the question is, um, what is your foundation? What, what is your infrastructure? What is your life built on? And are you actually able to, to handle what life will send you? Uh, and, you know, it's interesting when, when, we, when we think about what's important to us, um, a time like this will show that we're, we're building our lives. We're really resting on and leaning on things that aren't necessarily as essential. Our success is important. What people think of us seems important. Our happiness is important. And all of a sudden, we don't have controls over our success. All of a sudden, we don't have control over our happiness. Uh, and we find not simply that that creates a challenge for us to go through, but it creates a crisis. Because at the end of the day, your happiness was a fundamental beam. <laughs> your success was part of your foundation. And then when your success goes away, you have no foundation. Jesus comes and tells us to build wisely. And he's telling us to make sure that we're building on the right priorities. Does, is success unimportant in your life? Is money unimportant in your life? No, it plays a role, but it's not foundational. And this is where I think this analogy is, is kind of helpful. Because if your stove breaks, you need to fix it. So if your stove breaks, you could get by without the stove. You can cook for a couple of weeks with your toaster oven and your rice cooker. Um, but it would be strange just to say, you know what, I'm just going to ignore the stove if the stove is something vital for you. If the stove breaks, you need to fix it. But if the stove breaks, you don't move. And that, that's the difference. On the one hand, there is this sort of this hyper-spiritual, I don't care about anything but religious things. And we're forgetting that that these things in our lives, our family, our health, <laughs> our pleasure, all of these things are part of the life God has given us. And so if something isn't working in your life, you deal with it. But on the other hand, there are certain things, like if your finances fall apart, yes, that's a problem you need to address. Don't ignore it. But on the other hand, if there's no reason to live, finances have not been an element in your life your finances have been a foundation of your life. And with the stove, you don't leave it broken for years, but you also don't move out because your stove doesn't work. If your finances go, you don't sort of just say, well, I don't care, I'm moving on, but you, you address the problem. But on the other hand, if you don't think you could go on, then you realize your foundation is faulty. And this time period is a challenging time period because the pressures that are coming on us, and look, we're all different. We all face different pressures. Where different pressures affect us differently. The pressures will show us 
that our fundamental architecture, our structures, um, we have things that are not essential that we're resting on. We're resting on our success. We're resting on what people think of us. And now we don't have the people around us to applaud. Now we don't have the control over the success. And we're finding that we don't know if we could be sustained. This is an opportunity for conversion and repentance. Christian conversion is a matter of recognizing that God is the ultimate foundation, that first starting point. And Jesus says, hear what I say and do it, and you will build built on a foundation. Conversion is, is about recognizing I've had no foundation. I've been on very weak things, and so I'm going to move from whatever I hoped and trusted in, whatever I loved, whatever I believed, and I'm going to build my life with God as the foundation, with Jesus as the architect who's going to lead me. Some of you need to take that step, and, and, and this is a time where you realize, yeah, the things that I've hoped are not in my control. Is there more of a foundation? The answer is yes. Some of us, though, have lived the religious life, the Christian life, for a period of time, but we're seeing in new ways uh, that the beams are not supporting the pressure. Um, and repentance, that turning, is an opportunity for us to see with clarity. It's not simply that I was encouraged when people liked me, but I was leaning on that so much that now without that, I don't know what to do with myself. And, and the repentance opportunity is to say that that's a thing in my life that maybe I, I should still be glad for when it's there, but I can't base my life on it. I need to base myself on something more. This is a season where, like it or not, we're being shown our vulnerabilities. There are forces and pressures that are greater than the normal ones. And the question is, what is your infrastructure? What's bearing the weight? Um, and so this question, how are you holding up? <laughs> you know, the, for whatever reason, in the last couple of years, there's, there's been these um, deconversion stories. I think maybe the church has spent so, so many years trying to have people tell stories about how their life was meaningless and they came to faith. That now all these people that were once Christians who are, are sharing the same story, the same kind of narrative, except it was, I had all this, I believed, and then I just realized it wasn't true. That's complicated. With particular individuals, there could be lots of things going on. But one of the themes that I often find is that, that God played a role in the person's life, an important role, but not a structural, not a foundational role. And that makes me nervous when I hear somebody else's story about my own life, that I find myself saying, God is really important, but where is God in my life? And you know, God easily becomes a fixture. God is that chandelier in your living room that you hope people will come in and see and be impressed with. And so, so there's a sense in which you can sincerely say, I want the light that people see in my life to be God. I want God to be the chandelier. I want him to be the one that gets the glory. And you really believe that. But at the end of the day, God is fundamentally in your life as a, as a fixture. And one day you flick the switch and the light doesn't go on. And so what happens is you, you look and you say, that chandelier that I loved for years, you know, that was, in, that was the trend in 1995, but now the light's not going on. Maybe it's time to replace the chandelier. Or that stove that, that has been great for cooking, you know, functionally, this stove worked in my life, <laughs> the analogy. God always helped me. I, I, I prayed and God answered my prayers and I didn't know what to do. But now I'm watching these cooking shows, and, and, I, and I want a stove that has greater function. The stove was great for the last 10 years, but, but the stove is not enough for now because the stove is functional. 
So God was that person in your life that heard you, that cared for you, but, but now you've matured, you've grown up. And God worked then, but God is no longer working now. And there's a sense in, in which this, we find that devoted religious people, God plays a, a fixture in our lives. He, he's, the, he's the chandelier, he's the stove, he's the tile, uh, he's the chair. He plays this very prominent daily thing. But at some point, the relevance question comes up. You know, I'm just tired. Uh, I no longer delight in this, or God no longer works. I think there's something that could work better. And we find that, that this word where it says love genuinely, the word genuine there uh, translates unhypocritically. If there's one thing Jesus warned fervently against was hypocritical religion, the kind of religion where, where things are meant to be seen, but it's not internalized. It's not part of the deep structures. And this is an occasion for us to be confronted with our own religious hypocrisy. Um, for some of us, we've been saying, God, I want all the glory to go to you. But at the end of the day, God is in our lives as a chandelier. But we're resting on our own success and our own control and our own reputation. And the light no longer dazzles us and no longer works. And therefore, it would make sense to get rid of the light. Maybe something else can do in your life what God used to do. It's when God is your foundation and you realize the light that's not working is my success, my money, my reputation. You're in a much better position because you could always replace your stove or your chandelier. But if you've got cracks in the foundation, you have a problem. Uh, what we're told is there is a firm foundation that you can build your life on. And this is where theology is important. You know, theology creates an infrastructure. We are to be rooted in God in faith, hope, and love. But how do we under, what are those beams? It's the word of God. How do we know God in his ways? Well, he tells us in the Bible. What do we rest upon? Well, it's God's attributes. We know that God is faithful and just and merciful in these various things. Uh, and then there's God's um, provision, his ongoing care. And all these things create the kind of structure. So not only can we have a flourishing life filled with happiness, we hope, and success and health and all the things we aspire to, but we have a life where we can face when the pressures come and they take our health away and they take our success away and they threaten our finances or our jobs or our families. That there's enough of a structure there to say, you know what, all of these things are good and they're important. And if I'm sorry, that, that my, my finances are in trouble, I don't need to do some super spiritual, why do I care so much about money? You could say, I care about it, but that's not my hope. That's not what I love. That's not what I believe in. And so how are you holding up? This is a time where we're gonna see we're holding up on some flimsy foundations. And it's an opportunity for a rebalancing for spiritual growth. And I wanna encourage you to do that. What are you seeing? Uh, we're seeing our weakness. And it's an opportunity to say, is your faith, hope, and love in God? And, and one of the ways to, to examine this is, is love genuine. Are you seeing real love coming out? Or are you seeing the foundations that you're on are causing desperation? So it's impatience, it's abuse, it's whatever it is that comes out. Think about that. Most of us are probably not holding up wonderfully at this time. But there's hope. There's a foundation upon which we can rest. So here's the second question. I said I would have two questions for you this morning. Uh, how are you holding up? But here's the, the second question. Where are you deriving strength from? 
that's really what this structural analogy is meant to convey because our lives are not simple. There, there, there's a whole building that goes up, but, but I'm asking about the beams and, and, and the weight bearing components, which are various. But at the end of the day, the, the weight that comes down, the wind that comes from the side, the swaying, whatever it is, ultimately gets distributed until it makes its way down to the foundation. Now, most of the time, the foundation doesn't need to bear the weight. The, 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 the foundation doesn't need to bear the weight of the four-year-old kid who's jumping on the floor. When every family in the building is sheltering in place and every kid is jumping on the floor, maybe it gets to the foundation. I suspect probably not. Kids jumping around are not going to test the foundation. But eventually, real pressures, that hurricane is going to push all of the structures where then it's going to depend on what is this really standing on. And so, so we have to talk about uh, not, just, not just an overly simplistic life, but you need these various theological facets and components to create this structure in your building so that you could withstand the pressures. But, and most of them will be able to withstand what, what's, what you build in at that level. The thing is, sometimes you face things so big, so hard, so terrible, so confusing, whatever it is, that it really shakes you. And the question is, as, the, as that weight, as those forces get distributed down, do they ultimately go somewhere that's able to absorb it, that's able to bear it? And we're in a sermon series where we're talking about love. And as a church, we talk about these four relationships where, where God is at work to restore and renew relationships with God, within ourselves, with others, and with the world. And in the sermon series on love, we're saying love applies to those relationships, the love for God, God's love at work in ourselves, our love for others, and love as we engage the world. We're finishing up the subsection that we're talking about within ourselves, and so the next sermon will will start to be where we love others. Um, But in that within ourselves, the self has to relate to others and to our world, to, to the environment, to culture, those sorts of things. And others in the world could do wonderful and encouraging things, but sometimes the pressures come from them. And our response is to, to push back the stress that comes out. And so in this, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. What are the forces that come to you by people in your life or by the world in which we live? Uh, well, those forces are coming against us. And what's coming out is sometimes if we're being mistreated, we respond with mistreatment. If everyone's anxious, we get caught up in the anxiety. If people are cutting corners and bending the rules, we cut corners and bend the rules because that's how you win in that environment. We're told that there's a foundational relationship, and that's why there's a, a logical ordering that we, we talk about God within ourselves, others in the world. The Bible says the foundational relationship is between God and humanity. That's the, the substructure. That's what, what is meant to go deep that we start to build on, that the self that gets built by the teachings of Jesus as you take and hear and, and incorporate that is meant to be rooted in your relationship with God. And what that does is when God's genuine love is at work in you, then there's a strength, there's an energy, there's a force that then creates that structure. So you and the specific life that you live, whatever you welcome into your home, the the, the place that you welcome, uh, whatever it is in this world into, uh, you're able to withstand the forces of its people or environmental. And so where does everything go down uh, in your life? What absorbs it? And the problem, one of the reasons we need to talk about this, this within the self dynamic is because all of us have weakness and we manage our weakness by compartmentalizing 
And by trying to get rid of the things that we just can't make progress on or the things that are too hard that we can't face. And, and of the various ways we think about why human beings need healing, why we need integration for our divided selves, there's a number of angles that you can see, but the, I think the, the most obvious or the quickest is the division between the inner self and the outer self. The self that we know, what we think, what we feel, the secret things we do, and the self we prevent to the world, present to the world that winds up being an avatar. Uh, what else can you do? If you want love to be genuine, there are those times where you don't feel like loving someone, and yet the right thing to do is to love them. And so we get caught up within Christianity. Well, we see love as an action, not just a feeling, and that's true, but we allow ourselves to say, God tells me to love this person, but I don't need to like them. And that's true in the moment, if you're feeling you don't like the person, your action needs to be consistent with love, not with how you're feeling. But you can't carve out a space to say, you know, it's too hard to be the kind of person that has to like other people, because then I would have to not be judgmental. I'd have to not be selfish. But then love is not genuine. And so you can love people, but not like them. But you create this compartment and that compartment affects who you are and love will never be genuine. You will always be having to act despite how you feel. And look, there's no getting around that reality because we are imperfect, sinful people. But that division between the, the self we present that we want to be seen as moral, as compassionate, as talented, as worthy of love, as competent, and then the self where we feel afraid, framed. Uh, 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 afraid that people will, will reject us if they find out who we really are, that vulnerable self uh, says that, that our own foundations just in who we are are weak. And Jesus comes and says, but I will, I will put your feet on a rock. I will put a firm foundation under you and I will help you build a life so that the, the forces against you don't overwhelm you, but the force within you of, of what God, who you stand on, is doing in you will strengthen you so you don't have to settle for acting with love, but holding back your resentment. But you can actually grow in letting resentment go, of making progress that, that you will build a life that's ready for the world that God has invited us into. So you look at verses 9 to 12, and you say, this doesn't describe me. And I included verses 3 to 8 in the reading, this, this image of the, the body. And, I, and we don't have time for me to, to really talk about it, but it seems like a separate topic and then verse 9 picks up a new topic, let love be genuine, except there's one other place in the New Testament where we read about the same metaphor as a body, and it's 1 Corinthians 12, and the most famous passage about love is 1 Corinthians 13. See, there's a sense in which we get tested who we are as individuals in relation to others. See, if you don't care about other people, or you're withdrawn from other people, you can make yourself feel like a pretty good moral, ethical person. But when you're in relationship with other people, it that's when the cracks start to fail. Uh, but what we tend to do then, the, the moral person then gives up their individuality. I just need to be like everybody else so nobody sees my flaws. And what's, what's, what Jesus is offering in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 and 13, the way of love says you could be distinct as an individual. And that's what this model of there are people that God gives distinct gifts to. Everybody's not exactly the same. But yet there's not this who's better than others. And that's the warning. Don't be haughty. Don't, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Can you be unique as an individual, but fit in with others? That's at the heart of where we struggle. See, if I stand out, I'm willing to stand out if I love individualism, as long as I'm better than others. 
But if I don't, I hate individualism and I want some sort of collective view so nobody stands out. If I don't, I don't want to do something so that everybody else can do something that I benefit from. But on the other hand, uh, sometimes we, we want that group thinking um, because we find that that's where, if we come together and contribute our gifts, that's where we really grow. And, and that's important. And yet everyone needs to be the same because if, if somebody's better than me, I hate it. And that's where our pride, our haughtiness, our weakness comes through. That either the individualistic person or the collectivist person can't be a distinct individual who gets along with others because love is not genuine. And we have this vision given for us of the possibility of a new society where love is genuinely working, where people are unique and distinct, and yet it doesn't harm others. We don't take advantage of others, but, but we, we grow up, and one of the metaphors is the building metaphor. We grow on Christ the cornerstone with that foundation that's built, and this whole thing grows to maturity as this great structure. And love needs to be genuine for that. And so you look at verses 9 to 21 as an inventory, and you find yourself saying, yeah, I'm not one who, who rejoices every time somebody rejoices, but when things are going well for people, I get envious. And I don't always weep when people weep because I don't want them to drag me down. Do I hang out with the haughty? Do I hang out with the lowly? Well, when it makes me look better, I'm willing to serve the poor if I get credit for it, but I don't want to just hang out with the poor if they can't do anything for me. And so we go through this inventory and we realize that, that we are not overcoming evil with good, <laughs> but we're being overcome. And it could be hopeless if you are your own foundation, if a life apart from God is the best life you can build. But then we go back and Jesus says, now look at, at me. Do you believe God's love is genuine? Love needs to be genuine. And that becomes the foundation. How do we know that God is worth serving, that God is worth believing in? Is God's love genuine or is it half-hearted? Is it fake? Is it manipulative? And we're told that God sends Jesus. And so now we see Jesus. What do we see? And read through Romans uh, 12, 9 to 21 and ask, is this what we see of Jesus? Does Jesus abhor evil? Meaning, does he reject it or does he welcome it into his life? Or does he hold to what is good? I, I can't think of a single instance where he welcomes evil into his life as something that he takes hold of for him to do. Does Jesus outdo others in showing honor? It's remarkable. Jesus, who he is, how he treated people, everyone with honor. Um, does Jesus curse those who persecute him or did he bless them? Was Jesus haughty or did he associate with the lowly? And you look at this passage and you realize, wait a second, there is somebody in whom love was genuine. And so I'm going to read for you um, something from, uh, from 1 Peter 2, speaking about Jesus. It says, he committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. And this is where Christianity differs from the religious, the moral, the secular, whatever it is, to say, here's how you build a decent life for yourself, but you build a life that doesn't ever withstand the real pressures. What we're told is that we need to be healed. We need genuine love to come into our life because it's not going to come to us from the outside. But it's that phrase in 1 Peter 2, 24, as it shows Jesus as the picture of the one who loves genuinely, he himself bore our sins. 
And so you read Romans 12 and you get discouraged and say, what I'm seeing is my own falling short. I want to do this, but in every situation I find that I don't want to do it. And so where does that stress lean? What does it all come down to? At the end of the day, when you're being overwhelmed, what is your source of strength? He himself bore our sins in his body. And what we're told is no matter what comes to us, no matter what weights are dumped on us, we will stand if the foundation is ultimately Jesus is the one who upholds us and everything in our life. And so what I want to do is to encourage you is to build your life on what really matters. Is happiness important? Yes. Will money play an important role in your life? Certainly. Health, family, job, reputation, all of these things are important, but they're like fixtures. They're like furniture. They're like appliances. They will work and sometimes they won't work. Sometimes you'll need to replace them. What are your foundations? What is it that you stand on that no one can touch, that no one would take away? The invitation of God is I've sent Jesus to be your new substructure, your new floor, the new foundation, to start to build a life that will withstand things. And so, so Jesus, when he talks about these things in Matthew 5 to 7, says, your father who sees in secret will hear your prayers. And it's that divided life of not wanting people to see things that creates this disingenuous approach where, where love is never genuine. And we're told that if God's love is genuine, you never need to pretend to be something you're not. You never need to fake it. You could be yourself. You could open every door of the, of the compartments that you've put in your life, and he will heal you. And he will be a foundation upon which you can stand. And he will help you build a life so that when evil comes to you, you won't be overcome by it. But you will look back in prayer and in faith and you will hope in him. And when you see his love at work in you, you will able, be able to face evil, even evil, with love and not be overcome by it. Because Jesus bore our sins on the cross, but he was raised up to conquer death. Good wins. Love is powerful. And if Christ is your foundation, you will be able to withstand whatever you will face these next couple of weeks. I, I realize it's easy for me to say that I don't know what any particular individual is facing, but it's that foundation of the promises of God's word and his care and his attributes and his goodness and his mercy that makes me say with confidence, if your foundation is Christ, you will not be overcome by evil, but God's good will help you overcome. Let me pray for us. Our Father, we come to you as a weak people, a confused people, a people that have built our lives on faulty things. Uh, and yet you present to us Christ, a firm foundation, the one who bears our sins, the one who builds our lives, the one who fills every space in our lives with love, a genuine love. And Lord, that's what we need. And Lord, as we face this world with the challenges and the stresses and the pressures, we, we pray with humility confessing our weakness and asking that you would be our strength. And I pray for any here who are feeling overwhelmed, who are feeling weakened, who are feeling hopeless. Lord, build into their lives something that will give them strength to be faithful this week and these months. Help us to be wise. Help us to be filled with love. Help us not to be those who repay evil with evil, but those who overcome evil with good. The Lord do that work in us and help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.